I, uh, oh man, I have good news. I was going to try to wait till the end to tell you this, but who cares? I do what I want. So, all right, y'all ready for this? Y'all don't even know it's about to hit you. You don't even know. I am giving everyone a million dollars. I'm just kidding. Wouldn't that be cool? Whatever I say now is just not going to come close. No, listen, I have really great news. Okay, so y'all might have, uh, y'all might have known this, um, that Amanda and Michael, uh, Michael is uh, one of our worship guys, and Amanda, our teacher, uh, you might have noticed they weren't here tonight, and they weren't here last week, because things been happening, all right? So they've been for the last, oh my gosh, a long time. It has been a journey. They have been praying that, uh, they've been trying to adopt, and they've been trying to find some kind of, fo- I mean, they've been trying everything they can to, uh, to let the Lord bring a child to them, and so we've been waiting, and waiting, and waiting, and waiting, and waiting, and um, uh, I have good news to tell you that tonight at 7 o'clock, not an hour ago, a child was being brought to their home, and it will be there. They will start. Yes, you can celebrate. This is great. It's, 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 a, it's a baby girl that's one years old. That's all I can tell you, all right? That's what they maybe swear to only tell you that much. So there'll be more, and I know the name, but you don't, so ha, ha, ha. But um, so there'll be more, more details you're going to learn. I don't want to steal their thunder, but I told him, like, you can't make me hold on to that because these guys, they, I know a lot of you, I've been praying with them and walking with them. Y'all have heard her references and her messages, Amanda, and so this is from the bottom of their heart. They are so excited. In fact, Sarah ran into them. My wife ran into them today at Target, and they were, like, last-minute shopping. Ah, we just we just buy everything. We don't know what we need. It was it was it's awesome. So y'all be praying for them, and uh, you're probably not going to see them at least here for a couple weeks. And obviously, all right, let me just tell you: when you have a kid, the whole world changes. You remember how Jesus changed everything? A baby changes everything. All right, so their whole world is upside down. They're not going to sleep tonight, so be praying for them too. They're going to be so excited. Then tomorrow morning, they're going to be like, "That's what Chad was talking about. It makes so much sense now." So, uh, but that's what they're going through. So we're so excited for them, and we are just so happy and. You know, I think that, um, and I'll probably hit on this again in a minute in the message, but, you know, God's faithfulness always looks not how we choose it to. I mean, that's just how he rolls. Come on, get, get with the program right now. That's what he's saying to us. If I make you wait, there's a reason. I don't know what the reason was. I'm not sure. They're figuring that out. But God had them wait, and God has delivered, and we're super excited. So um, anyway, so y'all be praying for them. Let's open the word of prayer. We're going to get started. Father, we love you, Lord. Thank you so much. We celebrate with Michael and Amanda this incredible uh, moment for them, this transition in their life that in literally a couple of hours, everything has changed for them. But we know that you've been in control, and you have made all of that come together. And so, Lord, we're just so grateful to be a part, to witness that, to witness uh, what it looks like to wait And, Lord, to trust you even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's frustrating and agitating and all of the above, Lord. At the end of the day, you are faithful. And so we just celebrate. We pray over them as parents, Lord. We pray for this baby girl as she comes, Lord, that you would uh, protect her. I know she will be raised in a home that will honor you. But we just pray that she would be a part of changing the world. God, be with them as they learn how to handle a kid and all that comes with that, Lord. And uh, as we get to walk with them as their friends and as ministry partners, Lord, uh, may you use us, all of us in this room, to just be a blessing to them and to love on that child as much as we can. But Father, we celebrate your faithfulness. Now be with us tonight as we open your word. May you speak to us, challenge us, Lord, mold us, shape us is our prayer tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's begin. Exodus chapter 4. We're going to finish out the end of chapter 4, and then next week we'll start on chapter 5, because that's just what we're doing. So if you've missed some messages, all right, there's some homework for you to do online. you got to go back and get caught up. We don't make any money off that, so that's not some unhealthy plug, though that would be a great idea. But anyways, I'm just kidding. No, but uh, go back, watch the messages. They're available in a multitude of different ways, but get caught up, because we are trying to go real slow and real steady and walk you through the book of Exodus, at least this first part. We want to go slow. We want you to understand it. We want it to make sense. We want you to get it, and so that's what we're trying to do. So if you remember, um, really the last two weeks, God God has had an encounter with Moses, okay? And God has shared with Moses that I'm sending you on a mission. I am sending you out. You are going back to Egypt. This is scary. This is terrifying, but you are going to go. And Moses, if y'all remember last week, what did he try to do? He tried to be the king of excuses. 
He had all kind of reasons for why he can't go, why he wasn't equipped, why he shouldn't do this. And basically God said, get over it. You're going anyway, okay? And so what we're going to step into tonight is his response uh, of the action. What, what is his action? What does he do after he has this encounter with God? What is his response? Now, we know what he tried verbally. Now we're going to see the action he takes. Is he going to go or is he going to stay? That's what we're going to find out tonight. And also, I hope this has been helpful for you because what we're watching is the formation of a leader. And all of you are in an age, every one of you, where you have the potential to lead in multiple ways and avenues, uh, multiple places in your life. Uh, This room, I hope one day will be leading multitudes of people, maybe not from a teaching platform, but just in whatever you're doing, your job, your career, your ministries, your families, all of the above. We are watching, though, the formation of a leader. And what are you noticing It isn't always pretty. Sometimes it's kind of ugly. And sometimes we're not very helpful. But even in that, God is so faithful to work through us and all of our mistakes and to use us in a mighty way. And so that's what we're watching. We don't know what's going to happen with Moses. I might have just hinted at it. But Moses is on a journey, and that's what we're looking into. So let's begin. Genesis chapter 4, our Exodus, not Genesis, Exodus, Exodus. Side note. So I teach a lot. And sometimes, sometimes the messages start to overlap. So no joke, last week I was teaching on Wednesday night, an entirely different message than what I taught you all the next night on Thursday. And as I was teaching on Wednesday, I totally started teaching them what I was going to teach you all the next night. But I caught myself, it all blended together, it was really cool. But anyways, that was a side note, that was free of charge for you, now you know. But so if I ever say the wrong thing, just roll with it. He's got a lot rolling around in that little brain of hers, uh, his. All right, here we go. Verse 18. Chill out. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please go back to my brothers, or please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. Okay, now that one verse just became a whole sermon if I wanted to. I'm not going to, but it could. There's so many good things that are happening here. First, remember what just took place. God had an encounter with Moses, and he said, you are going back to Egypt. That is the plan. Now Moses has a decision to make. Do I go or do I stay? Listen, many, many people have had a burning bush type experience, yet chose still not to go. Many people have heard God say, this is what I want you to do. This is what I have planned for you. And whether they freaked out and turned the other way or simply just chose to ignore, there are many people that have had a moment similar to this with Moses, yet chose not to go. Moses is showing us immediately that he is beginning to take the steps of action. He is moving toward the plan that God has told him to do. So he is taking the first step. Remember we talked about this last week. Oftentimes, God asks us to take the first step. And then as we begin that first step, he comes along and shows us his power and takes us the rest of the way. But oftentimes, he wants to see our faithfulness to just trust him with that first step. What does Moses do? After a lot of excuses, which is probably similar to us, he finally takes that first step step forward. And here's what's really cool. Moses had no idea what he was getting into, okay? All he knew was he was going back to Egypt. Now watch this. I wrote it down because I didn't want to butcher this, but watch this. This is really cool. All right. Did Moses have any idea what he was getting into when he agreed to take the Lord's call? Here's, watch this. Could he see the Egyptian army closing in and God parting the Red Sea through Moses' hand? Could he see the song of victory, the water from the rock, the manna from heaven, the battles won through prayer? Could he see the vision of God on Mount Sinai, the voice of God from heaven, the tablets of stone, the golden calf? Could he see the tabernacle built, the priests consecrated? Could he see the spies sent forth into Canaan to the response of unbelief? And 38-year sentence, a 38-year sentence to wander in the wilderness, Could he see a lonely climb to the top of a mountain where he would die looking out over the land of promise? Did Moses have any idea what he was getting into? Let me help you. No. No. And I'm going to show you why that's important in a minute. But no, he had no idea. Moses' journey is just beginning. But all of those things may not make a whole lot of sense to you now. But when we finish, you're going to go, oh, my goodness, all the things that this man was a part of. But he begins the journey with a few steps. And what does he do? Check this out. This is so good. He goes back to Jethro, his father-in-law, 
And you may go, oh, that's great. Okay, keep reading. No, this is monumental, folks. Who is Jethro? His father-in-law, but it's also his boss. Okay, this is where he has posted up. He has married his daughter. He is working for him or connection with him as a shepherd. He is, this man Jethro is the patriarch of the family. He is in control of all the things that are happening within this small group of people. And Moses, if you will, reports to him. It's Moses' boss. Now Moses gets a call from God to go to Egypt and you're gonna do something crazy. Get ready, take those first steps but just because Moses got a call from God didn't give him permission to eliminate or to abandon his responsibilities. Now, so often this happens. We go, man, God spoke to me. Hey, sorry, dude, I'm out. See ya, peace. Some of you blame God for breaking up with someone. That's another conversation. That's not what we're talking about, but I just want to say that's wrong. Okay, good talk. But most people will go, I'm out. I'm free. I knew I hated this job. I never wanted to do this job. I am out of here, and you have no idea where you're going, but you're just taking off because you've been waiting for this moment to come. Listen, God does call. God does send. But God will never ask you to just abandon your responsibilities. Now, will he ask some of us to close those responsibilities? Yes. And do that in a respectful and appropriate way. But never do we just chunk the deuce to whatever it is and follow. Now, here's the exception to that. That would be if there was something in sin that was happening. Of course, we would turn our back to sin and we would move the other way. There would be no delay there or lingering. But when we're talking about, for example, just a job, okay, we got to do this the right way. Now, he went back to Jethro, and Jethro said, go in peace. Basically, he gave him permission. What if he had said no? Okay, this is a good question for some of us. What if he had said no? Well, here's a couple of things to think about. There's not an easy answer to that, but here's a couple of things to think about. Number one, it could have been just a sign, a sign that maybe you're moving too quick. Take a step back, and let's really pray through this and make sure that is the right move. If you have people coming alongside saying, hey, you should be careful with that. Hey, be, be slow there. I'm, I'm not sure about that. Not all of us understand all the things of God, but when we get counsel like that, we should heed it. The other thing is that it may just be, this is going to be difficult. It's still going to have to happen, but it's going to take you a little bit longer, and you're going to do it respectfully. It is not respectful to call your boss the next day and say, hey, I'm out. See you later. Have a good day. That's not respectful. That's not Christ-like. That doesn't resemble anything I would want you to be connected to, at least within this ministry or the things of God. That's not it. If that were to happen, then you would say, okay, listen, I'm going. This is happening. This, I feel like this is what I'm supposed to do, but I'm going to give you as much time as you need. Typically, two weeks is what we ask for in the business world. I'm going to give you two weeks notice. I want to do this the right way. I want to leave on good terms. I'm going to work harder in these two weeks, not less hard, but more hard in these two weeks than ever before because I want to finish strong and I want to finish well, but I want you to understand that I feel like I've been called away and so I'm going to go, right? There's a second thing I want to point out. Well, let me give you an example because I think some of you are still confused and this is going to be helpful for some of you. Uh, Sometimes you'll notice what Moses does. What did he say? Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. That's the truth. He did not lie. But what didn't he say? He didn't say, God spoke to me through a burning bush. God told me to go back to Egypt, and I'm going to lead all of my people to freedom. He didn't drop the bomb. He just said, here's an element of what I'm going to do. Sometimes, now listen carefully, we are not talking about lying. Please be so delicate here. We're not talking about lying, but sometimes you don't need to share the whole vision with everybody because most humans don't get the things that God calls us to do. we got to be so careful here. Now, here's an example for some of you that are like, I don't know if I get that. Let me help you. Guys, please listen carefully. If you take notes, this is the moment right now. Let's say you walked into underground tonight. You saw a beautiful girl across the room because hopefully you're not sitting next to her just yet. That would be a little too quick. You see her across the room, and you say, wow. That girl, hmm, I want to meet her. So you walk over and you met her, hopefully, if you're brave enough. Um, you walk over, you begin conversation. You don't have a long time out here. We got a little bit longer tonight. We started a little bit later. You're welcome. You had a great little conversation, and you realize, wow, this was good. I enjoyed getting to know this woman. So you part ways because you're going to go sit again in separate seats because it will be a little weird too soon, too quick. And as you're sitting there, while the music was playing, that song came in, and all of a sudden, you felt like God had told you you're going to marry that girl. Now, whoa, 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 whoa. 
Now, I have heard many stories, not many like in the hundreds or even the 30s, but I have heard a few people tell me that when I met my wife, I felt like God was saying, this is the woman that I was going to marry. I I believe that to be true in some cases. But gentlemen, let me help you out. Do not go tell that woman that same night that I just want you to know we just met. But I am telling you that God told me, I hope you can get in the scene, God told me that you and I are going to get married. Because here's what she's going to do, a good little Christian girl, she's going to smile at you and go, oh, that's really sweet. And as soon as you leave, she's going, security, what is going on? This place is crazy, especially if it was her first night. Don't do that. Right? So there are some moments when, could that have happened? You betcha. And that's wonderful, but she don't need to know that, and neither do we. Well, maybe tell me, because I might need to look out for your little security disclaimer there. But we don't got to share all the information, but we know, hey, I feel like the Lord was telling me something here. This is good news. I'm going to continue to pursue this girl, but I'm going to do it wisely, and that's another sermon for another day. Do you see the point? Sometimes we don't unlay all the things that got shut because, we, man, humans don't always understand. I remember when I felt like I had a job opportunity early, early on in my kind of ministry journey, and I thought at first it was a good idea, and then I felt like the Lord pulled me away. But I remember even my parents were saying, you know what, that looks like a really good deal. We think you should go. In fact, we kind of think you're crazy. Why wouldn't you want to take that opportunity? Sometimes the other humans, even the good ones, even the ones that love you so much and are trying their best, don't quite understand the plan that God has for you. So we can share little bits, and we want to be careful with that, but Moses understood. Jethro, his father-in-law, may not get the whole picture. Later on with Aaron, he's going to tell him the whole story. But with Jethro, he told him just what he needed to say so that he could go back and begin the journey of following God. You get that? All right. Now, that was really, really quick, but that was a little mini-sermon. Let's move on. Verse 19. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hands. Let's pause. Okay, this is good. So here we go. God tells Moses what? I want you to go. Moses knew already he had to go. Egypt was already on the table that had already been talked about. But what did he say? He says, go back. And essentially he says, don't worry. The guys that were out to kill you many, many years ago, they have all gone and passed you have nothing to worry about. What he didn't say was in that area. The rest is a whole other ballgame. But in that area of what you fear, you have nothing to worry about. Sometimes, not always, don't mark these words as a guarantee, but sometimes God will give us these little nudges along the way, this little sense of confidence, this little sense of hope that, hey, I've taken care of this. I've gone ahead of you. I have removed an obstacle in front of you. I need you to trust me as we walk the rest of the way. And this is what God did for Moses. This would have been a really major concern. Remember, Moses had killed that Egyptian years ago, and he was worried that if he were to step back into Egyptian soil, that he would immediately be killed or at least thrown in some kind of an imprisonment. Moses understood that. God removed that fear from him, gave him a little bit of courage to take that next step. God doesn't always do that, but oftentimes he'll meet us where we're at and give us that little bit of hope. It may come in the voice of a friend or a family member. It may come and, and if you're trying to do an internship or you're trying to take some job and all of a sudden the finances just showed up or the opportunity just showed up or some clarity came that you didn't see coming, that's, that's God. That's him moving. That's him giving you that one little nudge to say, hey, this might be the right direction. You just keep on going. You keep on trusting me. So sometimes he'll do that, and he did that for Moses. It also says at the very end, this took the staff of God in his hand. Y'all remember the staff last week? The staff that turned into a snake that then went back into a staff? It's no longer just a staff. Now it's a staff of God. That'll be its reference going forward. God is moving in Moses' life in a mighty, mighty way. Let's keep going. Verse 21. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Okay. We got to pause, kind of some big conversation to have here. Uh, Number one, we're not going to go into this in super in-depth, so let me just fly over this and give you a snapshot. God tells Moses, you're going to go back, you're going to do all those miracles we talked about last week. Remember, pouring out the water, it turned to blood, the staff's going to turn into a snake, you're going to put your hand in, see leprosy, you're going to put it back in, it's going to be gone. He says, you're going to do all of those miracles before Pharaoh, but his heart is still going to be hardened and he's not going to believe. Now here's where it gets a little crazy. It said that I will harden his heart. God will harden his heart. 
Now, later on in Exodus, a couple of different times, it'll then say that Pharaoh hardened his heart, then God hardened his heart, then Pharaoh hardened his heart. It's going to say this multiple different ways, multiple different times. So a lot of people that study this begin to have this little kind of controversy. Well, was it Pharaoh? Was it God? Did God intervene? Did, did Pharaoh want to do good, but God made him do bad? Well, we know that that's not in the character of God. So we have to step back from that thought and say, then what does it mean that he says, I will harden his heart? And here's what I found, and I think this will be helpful for you. You don't have to turn there, just listen. Romans 1.21 says this, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 24, this is the key. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their body amongst themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. What did he say? God gave them up to their evil desires. He's going to say it again in 26 and again in 28, that God gave them up. God gave them up. So when I span back and I use Romans as a little bit of a gauge to try to understand this, the way I see this unfolding is that Pharaoh's heart was already hardened. And instead of God trying to intervene and grab his attention or pull him in, God just allowed him to keep going with that thought, to keep going with that place, just like he did in Romans. Okay, so what does that look like for us? Sometimes our hearts, and maybe this was your story years ago, maybe even now, our hearts can be in such a bad place, such a hardened place that someone could come talk to you about love or grace or God, and you're going to ignore every word because you are not interested because your heart is hard as a rock. And sometimes there's going to be seasons where God just lets that happen, lets you go through a season like that. But then there's going to be other seasons where you had a hard heart. But then God allowed an event or a circumstance or something to happen so that it might break that apart, that it might soften it. In our class on Sunday in movement, we talked about this, that sometimes God has to break us before he can use us. And so for some of us, that hardening will happen as God intervenes. I know for me, it was a major knee injury that kind of shook me up a little bit, caused me to look at life differently. I don't know what your story is, but there also were seasons where my heart was so hard, people tried to talk to me, people tried to encourage me, I wanted nothing to do with it. I believe when I look at this, it makes sense that Pharaoh's heart was in a place where God didn't keep him from doing good, but rather God allowed him to continue down the path. And in a few verses or a few chapters, God's going to finally get a hold of his heart. That's how I interpret this. That may need more study for you to look at, but that's what I would say to you. Then we go on in verse 22. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, this is good, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn Son, Don't get caught up in that. It's symbolism. God referred to Israel as so special to him, it was as if it was his firstborn child. That's the kind of relationship he had with the people of Israel. So he says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. What? Yeah, that happened, right? Okay, so remember a little earlier I told you, uh, what, how, do, how do we look at this? What, what do we do when God doesn't tell us the whole plan, but he just asks us to take a step, right? Here's why. Because if he had told Moses this before he had started the journey, he probably wouldn't have gone. Well, why do you say that, Chad? Because remember, Pharaoh was seen by the people as a god, not a symbol of a god, but as a god. He thought of himself as a god. What did he do to all the Hebrew firstborn? He commanded everyone to throw the firstborn children into the Nile. This was a sick man that had no regard for human life, especially those of Hebrew. And God just told Moses, you're going to go stand in front of Pharaoh. You're going to do all of those miraculous signs. He's still not going to believe or listen to you. And then you're going to tell him, since you killed all of our Hebrew firstborn, I just want you to know that God is going to kill your firstborn if you don't get on board. Okay, now listen. Yeah, you can clap now because you're in the safety of your little chair here in Katy, Texas. <laughs> Moses ain't clapping. 
Moses is going to call somebody else. Where is Aaron? I thought he was coming anyway. What is wrong with this? I'm not doing that. This guy is crazy. I'm not standing in front of him and telling him I'm going to kill or God's going to kill and I'm just helping you, letting you know God's going to kill your firstborn child. This is the kind of situation that Moses is in. And listen, let's pull it out for a second from the story. Let's think about our life. Okay? Many of you had no idea, still have no idea what God's going to do with you. You may have started the journey, but you have no idea what's coming. I remember when I took the, the job of, of pastor here, I remember for a short time thinking, it's going to be great. Like, we just work on Sundays, we hang out with people, and, uh, and then I teach. That's all I got to do, right? This is going to be awesome. It's going to be, I know you all thought that anyway, but it's not true. But I'm like, this is going to be great. And then I started going, I'm like, are you kidding me? All the things that, that we go through, not all bad things are incredible in this job, but also Listen, we, we sit with people on their deathbed and talk them through those moments. We're the ones you call when you lost your mom or your brother or your sister, and we're the ones that sit with you, and we're the ones that you expect or at least hope will help you walk through that situation. I mean, it, the list goes on. These are things I didn't think about. I just thought it was going to be a fun opportunity. Let's just jump in. Let's do this. Serve the Lord. It's going to be great. And then you get in and you go, are you kidding me? Maybe I should rethink this. Maybe I should pull back for a second. I mean, I teach all these people and half of them don't even listen. That was a high number too. Why do I do this, Lord? Come on, tell me there's got to be something more. This can't be. See, sometimes God doesn't let us see the whole picture because he knows that we might not walk forward. He saved some of this for Moses. There's a lot more coming, but he saved some of it because he needed Moses to start the journey so then Moses could watch the power of God work through him. And listen, you may have the same thing. You may be going, I, I have an idea what my calling is or, or where I'm going, but I don't know where I'm going to land. I don't know what, if I'm going to teach. I don't know what age group I'm going to teach. I mean, am I going to be in the high school system or the elementary system? I mean, I want to be an engineer, but oh my gosh, there's so many things that, that could fall. I don't know. But you just start walking, and God says, as I walk with you, we're going to work this out together. I'm not leaving you. I'm going to navigate this with you if you'll just trust me. But I'm not going to show you everything because you might turn your back. So let's just start walking. Then he goes on. Oh, one more thing. This is my hurt. When God starts to use you, he's got to clean you up sometimes. And all of us go, well, of course. That's why we're here, Chad. It's called church. Uh, That's wrong, first of all. But the things that God's going to clean up are not just the obvious, but the things you tried to avoid. See, because sometimes we forget, we think God's like in a box, and as long as I'm here at church and I'm being a good kid, God sees me. But then when I step out of these doors, he doesn't see me. He doesn't see that, what happens in my room. He doesn't see what happens with my girlfriend when I wear alone. He doesn't see all that stuff. He just sees me when I'm at church. And we forget that God is sovereign. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. He sees everything. And so listen, when God's ready to move you and he's ready to use you, don't be all excited because this is going to be so easy and great. You better get ready because he's going to start working on you. And most likely the areas you ain't told anybody about yet. Watch what happens with Moses. And, and before I go any further, just know this is kind of crazy. It's just going to like this random little rabbit trail in the story. But I think I'm going to help you make sense of it. Verse 24. They're on their way. At a lodging place, on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah, that's Moses' wife, Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. Verse 26, so he let him alone. It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Some of you are like, I thought he was going to just skip that. Can't do it. What happened, right? I thought that too when I was reading. I'm not going to tell him this, but I read this and I'm like, what? wrong version. What happened? Like, where'd this, where did this come from? Let's look at it. We're all adults here, right? All right. Keywords first. At the lodging place, On the way the Lord met him. We really have a debate. We don't know. Was it Moses or was it Moses' son? Was it Moses or Moses' son? We don't don't know. Many, many, many people think it's Moses. uh, And a handful of people think it's his son. Let's keep reading. At a lodging place, on their way, the Lord met him. Whether it's Moses or Moses' family, but he's referring to the son. 
and sought to put him to death. Did you catch this? This isn't like he, he threw out an idea or a suggestion. He said, I am going to kill this man or boy, whichever one it was. Again, we're not 100% sure. I'm going to kill him or you if it's Moses. I'm speaking directly to you. Then Zipporah, this is Moses' wife, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin. Foreskin, we're referring to circumcision, okay? Everybody familiar with that? I usually crack a joke there, but I'm not because it's really important that we understand this, okay? If you don't know, ask the person next to you and let them deal with it. So they cut off the foreskin, okay? Male reproductive parts, you got it? Okay. And touched Moses' feet with it and said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. Okay, so, so here's the key words that we looked at. Him, foreskin, so you know what that is, and bridegroom of blood. By saying bridegroom of blood, what she's saying is, by doing this act, I'm now connected into the family, into the Hebrew line. You go, well, where does that come from? What does that mean? And do we still do that? Because I'm kind of freaking out. I think I should leave. Watch this. Genesis 17, 9. Don't turn there. Just listen. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant you and your offspring, so all the kids that come after you, after you throughout their generations, verse 10, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. So you and every kid or every generation of kid that comes in your family, remember we're watching the line of family move through this and Moses is a part of Abraham's line. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Okay, pull back. In the Old Testament, the sign of a covenant relationship between a person and God was circumcision. That was the symbol of the covenant. Now, some of you are going, I still don't quite get it. Let's back up modern context. You go to a wedding. The bride and the uh, groom are standing at the altar. They turn toward each other, and they say what? They say their vows. What they're doing is making a covenant. Now, pause for another second. Covenant versus contract. This is where America screwed this up. Marriage is not a contract. It's a covenant. What's the difference? A contract says, on paper, if you do this, then I will do this. Marriage, though, is a covenant that regardless of what happens on your end, I'm going to fulfill my end. You see that? So God doesn't make a contract, but rather a covenant with his people. How do you know there's been a covenant made? This is the modern symbol for marriage is the wedding ring. When I put that ring on, you know that I'm married. It doesn't change the actual act, whether I have the ring on or not, I'm still married, but this is the symbol. In the Old Testament biblical times, when a covenant between God and a person was made, the symbol like we use the wedding ring in the Old Testament was circumcision. Now you go, why that? Surely there was, I mean, get a tattoo. I mean, surely there was something better than this and less painful. Surely. Here's the thing. What does circumcision require? It requires a cut and it requires blood to be shed. And what did he say? I'm not asking you, Moses. I'm not suggesting Moses. I'm going to, let's just roll with the second that he's talking to Moses. I'm going to kill you if you don't do this. Now you go, I knew it. That God is evil. I always knew he was, and finally you've proven my point. No, here's what you need to see. This is how serious God is when it comes to sin. God doesn't look at sin as a bad thing that you're doing on a bad day or something that he'll just find a way. No, when God sees sin, when God in his perfection sees sin, he sees death. It is that serious to him. And so circumcision was the symbol because it was a serious thing. Now, you begin looking around going, so is that still happening today? Like, are we about to move into some weird thing right now? Don't think about that too much. No. 
See, something changed. Let me show you this. Colossians 2.11. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, but putting off of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. Since Christ came down, lived, and died on that cross, we no longer use circumcision as a symbol of the covenant God has made. God took the place of that painful moment on the cross when he shed his blood and ripped his flesh for us. You see how the symbolism is so important to understand? And most people don't talk about it because it is kind of weird. It's kind of awkward and you're still kind of like, I'm not sure. But it does sound really cool what you're describing here because it is. Guys, this is actually beautiful that God would do this. So what's the symbol now? You step into relationship with Jesus Christ. Your heart and the sin of your life is cut out. That's the circumcision of the heart. And God takes that upon himself through Christ and removes it from you and makes you white as snow. But then, if we don't have circumcision, is there a symbol that helps us to identify with this act? And the answer is yes. It's called baptism. See the picture? Now in the New Testament church, when we receive Jesus Christ into our life, it's an inward thing that we make public through the public act of baptism. See how this all connects? So what happened in the Old Testament doesn't happen today, but the symbolism is still there. And we talk about baptism the same way. Baptism is like a wedding ring. If you take the wedding ring off, you're still married, right? It's just a symbol, but it is the symbol. And listen, when someone, by the way, Easter is like two weeks away, and we're going to have a baptism service. And so if you've never been baptized or you've been thinking about that, or maybe now you're thinking about it, in two weeks is going to be an incredible time to do that because it is the picture of Easter, buried with Christ in the death, rise to walk in the newness of life. It is what Christ did for us on the cross and then in the grave, raising again. It's the picture of baptism. But here's the thing with, with baptism. This is what's so important for you to understand. People think of baptism as like something you just have to do, and, and that's not really true. Baptism doesn't get you into heaven. There's nothing, there's no form of that that you have to do to make it into heaven. What is baptism? It's that symbol. When you get baptized, here's what you're saying. You're saying, I want everyone to know That one, I'm not ashamed of Jesus, so I'm doing this publicly so that everyone can see. Number two, I want you to know that I'm serious about this. That I'm willing to do this in front of you because I mean it. Number three, I want you to know that I'm starting this journey and I don't want to do it alone. I want you to walk with me. That's why we do it as a church, as a congregation, so that we can celebrate with each other. That's why we're out there. We're like celebrating like it's a a football game or whatever sport you play, lacrosse or whatever. But we're celebrating like you just won the championship because it's such an incredible moment that we get to walk through together. But the final thing, you know what you're saying? Don't miss this. You're saying, I'm also telling you that I'm doing this, and my hope is that you would help hold me accountable. Don't think about that one as much. We like the celebration part. But the other part is when you watch someone get baptized, in a normal situation, sometimes you'll watch people and you may not ever really see them again because you didn't know them. But when you know someone and you watch them get baptized, in that moment they stood before you and said, I am choosing to follow Christ and I hope that you'll help me walk with and help hold me accountable. Do you live like that? Whether you were baptized or watched someone get baptized, do you live like that? Because that's the picture. That's what this looks like. So we go back to our text. What he's referring to them is the symbol that happens now. And look what happens. It says that, Zipra hopped up. I added that. Zipra, I lost it. I was trying to buy time. It didn't work. Where was it? All right. So Zipra steps forward, and what does it say? It says, it doesn't say this, but you get the picture immediately. Then Zipra took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin. So she stepped in and did it. Now, many people think that somehow Moses was like incapacitated, or for whatever reason, the point is, for whatever reason, it needed to come from her. Most likely because she was not Hebrew bred. She was not for this. In fact, it says that she touched his foot with it. Other translations say she threw it at his foot. We we get the picture. We gotta be careful because we're not 100% sure. But we get the picture that she was not happy about this. She thought it was barbaric. I can't believe we're doing this to our son, who's what I believe is who they were talking about. I can't believe you're making us do this. But yet she does it, and then she finishes it, and then she says, now I'm a bridegroom of blood. 
I hope you're happy. And, and you get that picture, why, why would she be angry? Because it's her son. And this isn't something that just feels good. This is a painful, if, if you're anywhere over birth age, it's a surgical procedure. Now at eight days old, when most of the time it happens, it's not that big of a deal. But when you're an adult or even a teenager, this is a surgical procedure. She has to do this to her own son. So she's upset about it. That's what most people think, and it, it does seem to lead that way. There's the picture. Let's move on from there. I'll be available afterwards. Ask questions. Actually, Sarah will. Verse 27. Just kidding. Then the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain and God of God and kissed him. Don't get all, I knew there was homosexual stuff in the Bible. No, he kissed him on the cheek. That's what they did back then. We don't do that now because it's kind of different and weird, but that's how they did it back then. That was the normal custom. Verse 28, and Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Did you catch that? What did he tell his father-in-law versus what did he tell Aaron? He showed Aaron everything. Bro, you're never, literally bro, this is his brother. Bro, you're not going to believe this. Watch this. And he, I don't know if he did the symbols. It sounds like he did. He did all the signs. He told him everything. And apparently Aaron was on board. God probably pre-prompted his heart to know something like this was coming. And they latched on together to start the journey. Now don't forget this. Remember why Aaron came in the picture. Aaron came in the picture because Moses was scared and he wasn't willing to go. And so God gave him an, an ability or some kind of an encouragement through his brother Aaron going with him and being his mouthpiece. So the whole idea of Aaron coming isn't some good picture, so I can't go on a tangent about community and all of that, though all those things could be implied here. The reality is Aaron is there because Moses wasn't faithful to fulfill what he had been asked to do in the first place. But nonetheless, here they go, this tandem team together, riding off into the night. Not really, but that's kind of what's happening here. And then the last part, and we'll, we'll stop for tonight, verse 29. And then Moses and Aaron went and, and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses. Remember, Aaron was his mouthpiece. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. Let's back up for a second. Did you catch that? The first time Moses tried to do this 40-something years ago, they revolted against him. They wanted nothing to do with him. 40 years later, 40 years working as a shepherd, getting married, having kids, thinking he's going to retire, all is good. He was probably playing golf somehow while he was being a shepherd. I mean, he was done with all of this business. And God calls and says, you're going to go. He tried to say no. Finally, he gave in. He starts to go. He gets there. He gets in front of the same group of people who just didn't want anything to do with him the first time. And he stands before them through Aaron and says, here's what the Lord wants to do. I'm going to lead you out. And they bowed down, not worshiped him, but they worshiped God. Because remember what they were going through. They were in slavery they were being beaten. Pictures show us, ancient writings and pictures show us that they were being beaten with whips, that they were working to the bone, and Egypt was just taking advantage of them because Pharaoh didn't want anything to do with them. He wanted to torture them. And finally, God had sent the symbol that says, I am going to lead you out into freedom. And they believed, and they were so desperate, most likely. And don't miss that. Sometimes that's what has to happen. It should be so easy that God should come before you and say, listen, I've got a better plan for you if you'll just follow me. Maybe it's salvation. Listen, I, I can change, I can, I can take your sin, all the mistakes you've made, both past, present, and future, I can wipe them white as snow if you'll just place your faith and trust in me. But we're so stubborn, we don't want anything to do with it. And then all of a sudden we hit these moments of desperation and all of a sudden everything just looks different. And I think that's what happened with these people. 40 more years of desperation, they were willing to take anything and then they saw these signs that Moses showed them and they believed and they chose to follow God. The journey of taking these people out of slavery and into the promised land, or at least the journey, has begun. Now here's what I want you to see. Number one, uh, here's, here's just, let me just narrow it down to one thing so we can be done. We talked about this with Amanda and Michael. What a great story to, to wrap this thought up. They waited so patiently. Well, let's be honest. They got mad too and frustrated too. I think they would say that if they were here. I don't know, but I just did. It's frustrating waiting on God. We get angry waiting on God sometimes, especially when it's good things we're waiting for. 
We just want it to happen now. But sometimes, sometimes God wants us to wait. Moses tried years ago, wasn't the right time. Thought he was done, God wasn't done with him. If you're still breathing, God's not done with you. That's a clue. So he went back to Moses and he sent him back and God did. Here's the thing, listen. When I look at this, when I look at this, this chapter, what I see is a lot of us full of excuses. I see a lot of us just not willing to pursue God because the world sounds better. And I see a lot of us that aren't willing to take a first step and then believe that God can help us finish the rest of the way. That's not an indictment on you because I would be saying the same thing to myself just a few years ago. But when I look around here and in the world, that's what I see. And I hope you do too. I hope you realize that. Because God's trying to call us to do something. I'm not going to say it's something great. You're going to change the world and everything. I'm not going to say all that. That's, that's, that's crazy. I don't know. But I know that God wants to do something in your individual lives. But God needs your, your trust in him. God needs you to stop thinking about the other things and stop thinking about all that, that could be if you just went down and just say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I'll go. I'll take the first step if you'll just finish the rest of the way. Do you remember, watch this, do you remember uh, last week we talked about the signs and one of the signs that God had told Moses is, I want you to take a cup. I want you to get that water out of the Nile and I want you to dump it on the ground. Now when the water's in the cup, it's just gonna be water. But as soon as you pour it on the ground, it's gonna turn to blood. Do you remember the symbolism, the Nile was life and all of that? That moment alone would have been terrifying because if he had said, listen, Pharaoh, I want you to watch it. He probably wouldn't have said it like that so he'd been scared. I'm going to take this cup and I'm going to dip it in this water of the Nile and I'm going to pull it out. And when I pour it on the ground, it's going to turn to blood. Are you ready? All right. And when he turned that cup, you better believe he was going, all right, Lord, don't forget. Don't forget. Pharaoh, they think he's a god. He kills anybody he wants. Don't forget. And he poured that cup. Now we know for Pharaoh it didn't work, but the blood that God said, that water did turn to blood. Pharaoh's heart was just too hard. Let's back up though and look at that symbol right there. Listen, here's the thing with some of us. God has to do the same thing in our own lives. Your, your life is like the cup, okay? And God's saying, I want, I'm gonna dip you in this water. I'm gonna pick out that Nile water, but here's what I need you to do. I need you to be willing to turn your life upside down, if you will, and allow me to take what you think is good, what you think is yours, what you think is your plan and all this, and I need you to trust that when you turn your life upside down for me, not in bad things, but for me, that I'm gonna take that what was once water and I'm gonna turn it into something incredible. But so many of us, we're not willing to, to make, like, oh, that's scary. Can you imagine Moses? This doesn't work. I guess I'll be in heaven. I mean, and that's how some of us are. I mean, I know God wants to do something. I hear that guy say it every week. I mean, I know, but I just don't know if I'm willing to turn. Like, maybe we could just pour a drop. But I don't know if I'm willing to just turn the whole thing over. And this is what God's looking for. It starts with our salvation. It starts with you placing all of your trust in him and then saying, Lord, here's my life. Take it. You know what I wanted to do with my life? I wanted to play sports. God granted that wish. It's just out here beating a bunch of bozos instead of playing in the NBA. I'm just kidding. That was a joke. I thought I was going to do something great in the sports world. That didn't happen. That's okay. But you know what happened? When I allowed God, he had to break a little bit. He had to chip a few things off my cup to get my attention. But once I allowed him to turn my life upside down, flip it inside out, change everything about where I thought I was going, and trust him. Can I tell you something? Yes, I may not ever make the money the famous players make and be famous and all of that. But I can promise you that when you land in God's purpose for your life, there will be nothing in the world that will look better. And I mean that. You tell me you could go play in the NBA, it wouldn't matter. I don't care because I have seen the other side. I have seen what God has wired me for. Listen, I know some of you are like, gosh, that sounds so good. That's what I want. I want to know that. You just keep in the symbolism, in the symbolic way of turning your life. You just keep turning that cup and keep trusting that as that water comes out, God's going to turn it the way he wants it to. You've got to give him everything. Don't give him Thursday nights. Don't give him Sunday mornings. You've got to give him everything. 
Don't give him everything but a relationship. Listen, real talk, let's have real talk for just a second. My hindrance, my hindrance when I started teaching was a past relationship, a current relationship at the time. Now it's past. I had, I had, had fixed so many other things in my life, but there was just one thing that I was still holding on to, and I'd covered it up well. I'd made it look like a good thing, and, and, and everybody thought it was great and all that, but deep down inside, it was the thing. Just like this little circumcision thing that God had to deal with Moses before Moses was ready to take his next step as the leader. God had to deal with that. God had to deal with this with me, and I guarantee you, I guarantee you there's probably something in each of us that God's still got to deal with, but we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to think about it. We, want to, we, don't, we, we cover it up well. We make it look beautiful. No one really sees what's happened. Listen, I'm telling you, if you want to get used by God, you got to open yourself up and let him do his work. And it's not always some glorious training, though that's part of it. It's him coming into the dark places, and you hand it over to him and say, I'll give it. Addicted to pornography, I'm addicted to alcohol, whatever it is, I'll give it to you because I don't want anything holding me back. We're never going to be perfect, but listen, guys, if sin has a grip on you, even an area of your life, God is going to have a really hard time using you. Please don't try to sugarcoat that. Please don't try to make yourself feel better. Whatever it is, it is going to continue to hinder you until you move forward. Let me tell you the story, and then we'll be done. I think I said that three times, but I actually mean it this time. That relationship... We're, we're, we're sitting in the, uh, we had just gotten back from going to dinner. We're sitting in the car one night. I had not planned this. I had not thought about it. I didn't, I, I had, it was not intended. And we just started talking. The next thing I knew, it was like, hey, I think we should break up. And we finished that conversation. She's like crying. I get out of the car. I start walking in, and I'm like, what just happened? I'm like two and a half years of my life that I just ended right there. I could, I could not explain it. It's like it just, just came out. And I'll tell you what, I got through the door. The, up to the door, I was trying to process, you know, like humanly, like, what just, what just happened? Did I mean it? Did? Should I go back and chase the car? I'm like, what? And then I got to the door, and I was like, Phew, what in the world? I had no idea. I had no idea the grip that that had on me until I let it go. And I just wonder, I just wonder how many of us got that something or some things You've covered it well, you've hit it well, you've even made it look beautiful to other people. They have no idea what's really brewing under the surface. But I'm just asking you, I'm begging you from my own experience, until you give it to God, it's going to be hard for him to use you the way that he wants to use you. But it will be the most freeing thing you've ever experienced, I promise, because that's the power of God that went to the cross for us, endured that pain so that we could be free.